This is the Marathon Training Academy podcast, episode 423. Thanks to MetPro Nutrition Coaching for sponsoring the podcast. You can speak with a metabolic expert about your goals and get actionable steps towards fueling for performance, losing weight, adding muscle, or changing your body composition. Go to metpro.co slash MTA to get $500 off their concierge coaching. That's metpro.co slash MTA. Thanks to UCAN for sponsoring the podcast. They're offering our listeners a chance to get six edge gels and try them for free. Just pay for the cost of shipping. Head over to UCAN.co slash MTA. UCAN.co forward slash MTA. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where it's all about helping you conquer the distance. In this episode, we answer nutrition questions sent in by our awesome listeners to the podcast. We're helping runners troubleshoot pre-run and intra-run fueling issues, bonking, nutrition for perimenopause and menopause runners, how to add more protein to your diet, including vegan protein sources, dealing with nausea after a race, and the three essential nutrition tips you don't want to ignore and more. And of course, you can get access to all of our premium content, courses, resources, and back podcast episodes as an Academy member. Find out how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. All right, good to be behind the microphone. Hey, one exciting thing that just happened is the Ultra Marathon du Mont Blanc just wrapped up, and it was a historic year. We've been talking about this race. But anyway, Angie, what went down at this year's UTMB? Well, for the first time, there was a male winner from the United States. First place was Jim Walmsley with a course record in 19 hours, 37 minutes, and 43 seconds. And not only that, the second place was also a guy from the U.S., Zach Miller, in 19 hours, 58 minutes, and 58 seconds. So I believe Jim, it was like his fifth attempt. Yep. So he basically like lived over in the Chamonix area for the last year plus to train for this event. And obviously it paid off. Yeah. In the off season, he did a lot of ski mountaineering, which is what a lot of those European trail runners do to stay conditioned. Yeah. Jim Walmsley now has the course record at Western States and at UTMB and probably uh, a few other places. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of of people who have course records, I think a lot of people are watching Courtney DeWalter. Of course, she had come off two of Ultra's most iconic races that she had won in the U.S. She had won Western States and Hard Rock. This year, yeah. And so UTMB was just on the heels of those, and she finished first in 23 hours, 29 minutes, and 14 seconds. Pretty exciting stuff. And having run on part of the course, um, when I did my marathon last year in the Alps, I have so much respect for what these runners can do who are going 100 miles, you know, the the full circle around the mountain. And the folks that are winning and finishing in the top are actually running on most of the uphills. And I'll just tell you, from my personal experience, those uphills are not runnable. (laughs) Somehow they run them. It's, It's amazing. That's right. We'd like to give a couple of quick shout outs to awesome people in the MTA community. 
We'd like to say congrats to Andrea, who recently ran her first marathon, the Mount Nebo Marathon in Utah. She met her beagle, stayed injury-free, and had a positive experience. And she was already asking other members for recommendations for future races. So that's a good sign if you're fresh off a marathon and you're already looking for another one. And we'd like to say congratulations to David. He says, Santa Rosa Marathon 2023. I went into the race feeling mediocre, a minor cold, and a fear I'd caught COVID, which a running friend had a few days before. Fortunately, I was negative. I went in with a plan, although my brain was not cooperating, but the body trusted the training, and I pulled off a sub 330 with a surprising first place in my new age group. He says, yay, I'm a bit sore today. I'm going to take a week off and then I have a marathon in Portland, Maine in a month. Cheers, friends. Keep moving. Well, super cool, David, to see what you're up to. And congrats on pulling off the sub 330 in first place in your AG. And speaking of marathons, I'm going to be at the Boulder Thon in Boulder, Colorado, October 7th. And check it out. I just got confirmation today that I'm going to be doing a live podcast episode at the Expo with Scott Jurek. So if you know Boulder, the Expo will be on Pearl Street Mall. We had Scott on the podcast um, a few years ago when he came out with his book about his Appalachian Trail run. But I've actually never met him in person, so it'd be really cool to get to do a live interview. And of course, uh, we'd love to have you come out to the Boulderthon. We got a marathon and a half, as well as a 10K and a 5K. And uh, still time to sign up and meet me there if you like. You can actually save 20 bucks with the code MTA20 over at boulderthon.org. And we're also excited about the Flagstaff Marathon as a new sponsor of the podcast. I won't have a chance to be there this year, but we're super excited to recommend this marathon to all of you, especially if you love the great outdoors and running on trails. It's uh, November 4th, 2023. You can get 15% off with our little handy code MTA23. 15% off, flagstaffmarathon.com. And in fact, if you're hearing this before September 25th, you can hustle over and beat the price increase. That's right. The Flagstaff Marathon is a fully on-trail marathon. Picture yourself running through majestic Ponderosa Pine Forest with crisp mountain air and just seeing beauty all around you. They offer the full marathon, half, 10K, and a kid's kilo. So the race is fun for the whole family. The marathon course is known for its high elevation starting at about 8,000 feet and then it has about 2,400 feet in elevation gains throughout the next 26.2 miles. You'll feel more satisfied when you get to the finish line. (laughs) And they also give out warm and cozy hoodies for men and women, swag bag, your medal, post-race food. So then you'll have ultimate bragging rights with all that cool stuff from the Flagstaff Marathon. And it is a nonprofit that goes to support the local community college men and women's cross-country team. Just go to flagstaffmarathon.com. Use the code MTA23 for 15% off MTA23. Well, we are excited to have a nutritionist on the podcast. We always love doing nutrition episodes. And big thanks to everyone who sent in a question. As always, we got way more questions than we'll have time to get to. But we're going to dive into some really awesome topics. So joining us to answer these questions is Amber Velasquez from MetPro.co. Of course, MetPro stands for Metabolic Profiling. They are a sponsor of ours and have been such a huge help to us and many people in our audience. When it comes to fixing your metabolism, these guys know what they're doing. Amber has a Master of Health Sciences from Georgia State. She's a registered dietitian, personal trainer, and loves all things nutrition and fitness. Angie has been working with a MetPro coach for a few years now. Prior to this conversation, we had never met Amber, but as you're going to hear, she just knocks it out of the park. She's super knowledgeable 
yes, I can confirm that the MetPro coaches I've worked with have been extremely knowledgeable and very supportive. So when I first started working with them, I had um, a significant amount of weight that I wanted to lose and was able to do that. And then we focused more on nutrition and fueling to be able to get faster. And I was able to run half marathon and marathon PRs while working with MetPro. So they've really just had a huge part in my journey, like you said, Trevor. So without further ado, here is our nutrition Q&A with Coach Amber. Well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. Now that I'm well on my way, well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. All right, we're on the podcast now with Amber Velasquez from MetPro. She's in Florida, currently preparing for a hurricane, batting down the hatches, right? Yes, absolutely. And thank you guys for having me. What part of Florida are you in? I'm just south of Tampa. Cool. Well, we always enjoy having a nutritionist on the podcast. And whenever we send out an email, there's always lots of great questions that come in. So this first one comes from Roger from Japan. He says, with so many diets being marketed, choices can be confusing. So if you had to boil down runner's nutrition to three simple bullet points that people can remember and that are easy to act on, what would those bullet points be? That's a lot of caveats there. (laughs) (laughs) It sure is. But that's a really good question by Roger. There's so much information out there, so it can be very overwhelming and confusing. So if I had to narrow it down to three bullet points, I would say number one would be focus on your meal timing. So eat every two to three hours. This helps regulate your blood sugar, plays an an important role in your overall energy, your performance and your metabolism. Number two would be to eat all the macros. So eat carbs, eat protein, eat fat. Um, And then number three, I would say if you're running, you know, you want to make sure that you're having some intracarb fueling. So anything greater than 60 minutes, you want to have some sort of intra-run fuel. That's really good. Good yeah. job, Amber. Huh. <laughs> Boiled that <Thanks>. down. <laughs> I tried to keep it sweet and simple. That's right. <laughs> I think that fits the bill. I should have asked you this first. What got you interested in becoming a nutritionist? Um, So back when I was in college, I was playing softball and I actually got injured uh, my end of my freshman year. So I didn't even get to play further than that. Mm. I had a total shoulder reconstructive surgery done. And so that pretty much took me out. I had a good 12 months of recovery to look forward to. And in that time, I started really focusing on my health, getting stronger, rehabbing myself. Um, I was doing physical therapy five days a week. And so that really got me interested in the fitness side of things. And then I was speaking with one of my trainers and he started working with me on my nutrition as well. And that just really kind of sparked things. I, I loved it at that point. And then I actually met my husband at the gym. He was really looking for some help. So I started, you know, training him, working with his nutrition and he saw really great results. And I'm like, man, this really just fuels my soul. Like I just love Mm. it with a passion. And so that's what got me started. And then here I am now, I've gotten to work with professional athletes, college athletes. I've even done some clinical work and now I'm here at MetPro and I just love being able to help people accomplish their goals and light that fire for their nutrition and fitness too. Ah, I love it. Well, let's jump in the next question. This one comes from Nikki. She says, hi, thanks for the opportunity to send in the question. I'm training for my second marathon after having my son who is now four. I've been trying to lose a little weight in the process. Instead of losing the last five to 10 pounds, I feel like I've added that weight. I feel bloated after long runs. 
Why is that? Is it water retention? I want to feel strong without gut issues on race day, but I'm also feeling a little discouraged. Maybe I'm not feeling right in between runs. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. A couple questions here, but it's all really good because I see a lot of people that suffer from these same issues. And there could be a lot of different factors going on here. So the bloating could be from a food trigger. It could be water retention. It could be hormonal changes, especially, you know, you've had children. So women in that stage of life also have a lot of hormonal changes that happen. And then you could even have some gut issues going on there. So I like to dive into digestive issues anytime I have a client experiencing a lot of bloating to get to the root cause rather than just trying to put a bandaid on it. It's important to fuel well before, during, and after runs. So I stress this to everyone, basically. So if you're eating the wrong things during the times of training or even outside of your training periods, that could be causing your upset GI system. And sometimes it could be as simple as limiting certain veggies. So things like broccoli and Brussels sprouts, that can cause bloating and gas. So I would really dive in and see what you're currently consuming and see if you can narrow down certain foods. So I would always start with a food log or a food diary to really track those symptoms and see if it's happening at a certain time of day with certain meals, certain food items, or if it's an exercise response as well. Um, So just digging deeper into those nutrition habits. Sometimes it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what it could be. Everyone is so different in how their body handles things. So it would be an individual approach to really figure out what's going on there. No, I like the idea of the food log and trying to pinpoint when the symptoms occur and like kind of backtrack and see maybe what was consumed, you know, drink wise, food wise, in the hours preceding that she mentioned, feeling bloated after long runs, you know, it could be as simple as using a fueling product that has maybe a sugar or some kind of additive that is causing issues. So I think that's excellent advice for anyone who's dealing with gut issues is trying to peel back the layers um, and figure out maybe what is the cause. Absolutely. And sometimes that's not as easy as it sounds, but (laughs) the more you write it down and really start tracking those symptoms, then you can really start to narrow it down. And of course, you can always work with a dietitian that specializes in something like this, but writing it down is a great place to start if you're just completely lost on what could be causing it. All right. Let's talk about perimenopause and menopause. We've got some questions in about that. So Angie, uh, let's, let's do this one from Anne. Okay. She says, I'm a 43-year-old female, premenopausal as far as I can tell. I'm definitely not genetically predisposed to be a slender person, but by trying to keep some healthier eating practices and with my love of fitness and working out, I stay in semi-decent shape. I'm curious if there is a way to make sure that my metabolism is working at a peak level without tracking everything I eat. I've done the food tracking thing in the past and I end up putting way too much emphasis on food that way. I get obsessed with the numbers and tracking and it just doesn't seem like a healthy, sustainable practice for me. So I guess my question is without tracking everything I eat, are there some steadfast rules that will help someone like me keep their metabolism working efficiently? And that comes from Anne. (laughs) Yes. And I love this because I often see perimenopausal or even menopausal women going through these same things. And it's really a tough stage of life to navigate. So I'm glad this was asked. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I see a lot of times in menopausal women is just not eating enough food for their body. And it's so hard because their weight starts going up. So they start restricting calories in the long run. That just deteriorates their metabolism even further. 
So I would say it's important to not be restrictive and you shouldn't feel hungry all the time. So if you're constantly hungry, then you really need to dive in and look at what you're consuming, how often you're eating. Um, so there are a couple of things that I would suggest for you, Anne, and one of those would be to look at your meal timing. So try and eat every two to three hours and not go more than four hours between meals. And this really helps regulate your blood sugar, which can help with your energy and your metabolism overall, because blood sugar plays a big role in your thyroid function, and that ultimately controls your energy and metabolism. Going too long between meals, when that negatively impacts your blood sugar, you'll notice things like your metabolism slowing down, and that's what we don't want. Two, I would say to eat enough protein throughout the day. So along with the meal timing, aim for 20 to 30 grams of good quality protein every two to three hours as well. This will help keep you full. It'll help you maintain and preserve that muscle mass that you have. And if you're doing strength training, that will help you build some new muscle as well. And then for number three, I would keep your meals well balanced. Focus on having carbs, lean protein, healthy fats, and fiber, which is a big one because a lot of people are under consuming fiber and that helps balance your blood sugar. And this will keep you full throughout the day. All of those macros is what helps you build and preserve lean muscle mass and supports all the hormonal functions that are happening in your body at this stage of life. So you find people are under consuming fiber. All the time. So a lot of times when I have women, they're like, oh, I'm getting plenty of fiber. But when I actually have them write it down and we do a little food log, they're probably under consuming by about 15 to 20 grams of fiber per day. Mm. And so they are usually the ones that have the, the gut issues with the bloating, the gas, the infrequency. And so once they start consuming more fiber, some of those start to resolve. Infrequency of what? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do you really want to go into details? <laughs> I talk about it all the time with clients. Well, I mean, it's a huge part of our nutrition and what comes in has to go out. And hopefully, you know, you're eating enough fiber that, yeah, everyone should be having a bowel movement every day. Exactly. <laughs> Let's just At say that. One. At least yes. one. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. We tell our kids that, don't we, Angie? Yeah, I know. I'm like, <laughs> have you had a bowel movement? When was the last time you did? Angie's Angie's a nurse and used to work at a oh. nursing home. So she asked a lot of people that question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. I did too. So I used to work in a nursing home for a little while as well as the dietitian there. Mm -hmm. And I would often be talking with the patients about their bowel movements. Yes. I even do it with my MetPro clients. I'm like, <laughs> how's your digestion? And they're like, well, why does that matter? That matters a lot because if yes. you're not going, that means your your weight will likely fluctuate on the scale a lot more. You're going to feel heavy. You're going to feel sluggish. Your exercise won't be as great because you're having all those other symptoms. So mm -hmm. I always like to dive in on that. Yeah, I think that's great. What sources of fiber do you recommend people? Yeah, so you can get fiber from food and that's where I always like to start. And then if you really struggle there, you can look at fiber supplements, but things like your whole grains... Uh, your fruits and veggies have fiber. I also like to add things like flax seeds and chia seeds to my meals. Um, that's an easy way to get in some extra fiber because you can basically add it to everything. I sneak them my, in there. Exactly. My <laughs> yogurt, my oatmeal, my smoothies. I'm throwing chia and flax pretty much everywhere. I even sneak it in my husband's food. That way he's getting his fiber in too. 
We've got a, a jar, glass jar of a mix of flax and chia seeds in our cupboard. So start adding that to your oatmeal, Trevor, if you're yeah, I should. more I fiber, because <laughs> I do it all the time. I actually yeah. like to make up, I call it chia pudding, make a little bit of almond milk and like a scoop and add it to my oatmeal in the morning. It's kind of already pre-hydrated by sitting overnight. My youngest son like eats them and calls them chia pudding and he thinks it's amazing. <laughs> Yep. I love making chia pudding. It's great. And it's good for your gut. Sometimes I'll even um, just take one or two tablespoons of chia seeds, mix it in some water and let that soak for a little while. And then I drink that before breakfast. And that's just a great way to get that digestive system lubricated because it forms a gel consistency and just helps everything move a bit more freely. Okay, this question comes from Jen. She says, as a 48-year-old female runner, I'm wondering how important it is to eat before a short run, five miles and under. I've noticed I'm not always hungry in the mornings and sometimes feel better running on an empty stomach. But is this sabotaging my training? This is a really good question. And I get this all the time because a lot of people aren't used to eating breakfast or they prefer not to eat before they work out. But I would say, in my opinion and personal experience, To optimize your energy and performance, it's important to consume something before any type of workout, whether you're strength training, going for a run, doing a marathon, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be anything big or elaborate, but your body needs that fuel. And I stress this all the time. So back to the the meal timing that I mentioned before, starting your day by eating that first meal within the first hour of waking up, that really helps get your metabolism going. That helps get your energy going because your blood sugar is regulated much sooner than if you fast, you work out, and then you eat something. Your blood sugar is already tanking by that point. So if you're not experiencing a lot of hunger in the morning after a full night of fasting, it might be a good idea to really dive into your metabolism and to start making some of those little changes that can speed up your metabolism, start feeding it more frequently um, because your metabolism will always chase your intake. So if you're not eating frequently and you're not eating enough, your metabolism slows down. If you're feeding your body very frequently and you're eating enough or even more than enough, your metabolism will start to catch on to that as well. I think this is so excellent. Yeah, because there's like the intermittent fasting thing, which I feel like is really damaging, especially for women and especially women athletes. And, you know, like this is badge of honor to not eat until later in the morning. And you've already had several hours of your day, you've worked out and then, you know, they're just subsisting on coffee. And I feel like maybe in the short term, you get some results, what seems like results, but long term, it kind of tanks your metabolism. Absolutely. And this is kind of a a tangent with the running on coffee in the morning, but that is super detrimental for women, especially and our hormones, because our stress hormone cortisol is elevated first thing in the morning. If you don't eat anything, that cortisol just continues elevating. And if you work out, it elevates even further. Having coffee or any caffeinated beverage first thing in the morning, that cortisol goes through the roof. And when it stays elevated, that prevents fat burning. And instead, your body goes into a fat sparing mode. And it makes it really hard for you to be able to metabolize food that you need and break it down into energy because instead your body wants to store it in case it needs it later because it's Mm. basically in a state of stress at that point. So you're saying don't drink coffee or drink coffee and eat some food before you go out. (laughs) I will never tell anyone to take out their coffee because I would never do that. But you definitely need to drink your coffee and eat or have your coffee after you eat. And your food needs to have carbs and protein for it to really regulate that cortisol response. I think people just like to get going in the morning without eating because it's so hard to 
you know, run after you have to digest your food. I get it. So I would say if you're not really hungry or you don't have enough time to eat something, even just doing a simple carb five to 10 minutes before you work out, just like a banana, a piece of toast, that can just really help with your blood sugar. And it already gets that cortisol response to start decreasing slightly. The run, of course, will elevate it a little bit, but at least you're getting that blood sugar in a better state than when you first woke up. Yeah. And I think you can train your body to eat before you run because like several years ago, I used to just go run on an empty stomach fasting, you know, thought it was amazing and then realized that it was really bad for my hormones and was experiencing difficulties with that. And so then I had to train myself to be able to eat something, figure out what works and then run. And of course, then fuel after your run again. And it's it's made a huge difference. And I'm to the point now where my Met Pro coach, if we're on a like a down adjust, I'm like, don't take any macros away from my morning. <laughs> like I would rather front load my calories in the day and eat lighter later in the day rather than take anything away from my breakfast. Breakfast. So, you know, I went from being like someone who ran fasted to really seeing the value of that breakfast and that morning fueling. So, yeah. Absolutely. And you're so right. You can definitely train your body to look forward to breakfast. If you start waking up hungry, that's a good sign for your metabolism. Yes. And mm. you can train your body to be hungry in the morning. It may take some time, especially if you've gone years without eating breakfast. But the more you start implementing even the smallest little thing when you wake up, your metabolism will start to pick up pace and it will catch on just like anything else. You know, our bodies are very adaptogenic with changes that we make. And so we can change our metabolism just like we train our body for exercise. So why do you say it's a good thing if you wake up hungry? Because that means your metabolism is or your body is looking for food your metabolism is ramping up, you've just gone all night fasting, if you wake up and you're not hungry, your metabolism is probably pretty slow and needs some work. Hmm. So by waking up hungry, that lets me know that your metabolism is in a pretty good position starting out with. So yeah, that's always a good indication of metabolism. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> Do awesome. you wake up hungry, Trevor? Yeah, I have been. And I just ignore it because I'd rather... <laughs> You know, read a book and sit outside. Drink his coffee. <laughs> yeah, and then go run and then eat when I get back. But this is helping me rethink my morning routine. There you go. You could you could even get like a protein, a ready-to-drink protein shake and have mm -hmm. that while you read, and you will be in a much better position throughout the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. So we do have a question about pre-run fueling. We've been talking about that a little bit. This comes from Andrew from Perth, Western Australia. He says, good day, Trevor and Angie. That's Literally what he said. I'm not making that up. <laughs> he says, I have to run very early and usually I'm up and out in 20 minutes for an hour's long run. I used to never bother eating, but recently committed to feeling better. What do you recommend for quick, easy, stomach-friendly food in such cases? All right. So you just mentioned like a simple carb a moment ago, banana, toast. I guess that kind of answers this question, huh? <laughs> yeah. And then a couple other items. So you could do a banana or toast. You can even add some peanut butter just to get a little bit of protein, some fats for sustainable energy, especially since he's not able to get in a, a full meal. You could even do pretzels, applesauce pouches, um, the little Uncrustable sandwiches. Um, if you're familiar with the little fruit bars called That's It. Those are a great little simple carb source that you could consume and 
as long as you eat it five to 10 minutes before you start, you'll have some good energy. It's way better than running with no fuel in your tank. That's right. I love how he lives his life. He's like up and then bam, out the door, one hour long run. This guy's high on life here. I'm jealous. It takes me a, a good hour to really get up and moving. Me too. <laughs> I'm get up. I'm like, oh, what day is it? Oh, man. <laughs> And it also depends on how I sleep. I have a toddler that likes to wake me up. So there's no way I'm in and out in 20 minutes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about fueling during a run. We got uh, some great questions sent in. This first one here is from Sharish. Hopefully I pronounced your name right. I probably didn't. I'm sorry about that. Uh, The question is, how many calories should be consumed in the form of gels during a marathon and at what intervals? And uh, I know the answer The answer is going to be, it depends. (laughs) (laughs) That is my most famous answer. It does depend because it depends on each person, how they metabolize carbs, how many carbs their body needs for the training. Um, But I would focus more on the grams of carbs in the gels rather than the actual amount of calories when it comes to training. I always have my athletes focus on 30 to 60 grams of carbs every 30 to 60 minutes after the first 60 minutes of running. So there's a lot of 30 to 60 in there. I always call that the 30, 60 rule, but it really depends. So 30 to 60, that's a big gap of contrast between, you know, like, do you need 30? Do you need 60? So that's where like I work with my clients on determining how their energy was at 30 grams. If they're still lacking, we start increasing. And sometimes we'll play around with the timing as well. So I often have my clients start at 30 to 45 minutes instead of 45 to 60 minutes, just because it takes those gels time to actually work. You know, it's not going to be an instant source of energy as soon as you consume the gel. So I try to get a kickstart on that energy before it, it starts tanking. Cause once it tanks, then it's hard to get it back up. But if you can fuel appropriately, you won't lose that gas and you'll just be able to keep going. Yeah. I was thinking while you were talking that you don't want to get behind during a marathon because it is a long distance and fueling at regular intervals for sure is helpful. And that's what the training process is like. Your long run should be about experimenting, like you said, with how many grams of carbs you need per hour and like what intervals your stomach digests them well. Um, So yeah, there is a lot that goes into it. Absolutely. You are definitely right about that. So I always recommend that you trial these several weeks, even months out from race day, because you don't want to go into a race trying something new because you don't know how it will affect your stomach. You don't know how your energy will respond. So there's a lot that goes into it. So you kind of have to train with your fueling, just like you train for the actual running portion. We've been using UCAN for years and it works great for us. And I've used the other stuff too in the past. And I think most of the time on the back of the gel package, it'll say what it recommends. Like, you know, take one per hour or every 30 minutes. But yeah, like, like you guys are saying, there's still a range. Depends on how much you weigh, how fast you're running, how long you're going to be out there, how hot it is. So all of these can play a factor, but you know, there are general guidelines on the back of those gels. Or available on websites, you know, whatever, whoever manufactures your fueling products are often or FAQ section of like what they recommend, what the ranges are. Just so. take one gel every mile. <laughs> carry, carry 26. Someone's out there running with a Walmart bag full of gels because they have so many. <laughs> all right. This one is from Chris and uh, Angie, I'll let you read it. Okay, Chris says, I'm a 40-something runner from Texas. I'm training for my first ever marathon, the Dallas Marathon. What kind of liquids and food guidelines do you have for longer runs and race day so I don't bonk halfway through? 
<laughs> first of all, congrats on training for your first marathon. That's super exciting. Um, I would go ahead and start testing out some intra-run fueling. So try out some gels, try goose, chews, hydration, uh, powders that you can put in your water. You know, try what works for you because it's really going to be individualized and dependent on what your stomach can handle and the amount of energy that you need. You'll also want to make sure that you get plenty of carbs in one to three days prior to your race day. So you can have a carb heavy breakfast three to four hours before the race, but only do what you can handle. So again, this is something that you should test out well before your race day. Um, test out how much you can handle the morning of a long run. That way you know what to eat before a race. And then you want to consume some quick, simple carbs like a banana or toast 10 to 15 minutes before you start the race. And then during the race, your goal again is to get 30 to 60 grams every 45 to 60 minutes after the first 45 to 60 minutes. And then sometimes I'll have my clients take one to two gels every 30 to 45 minutes um, just because it's not instant energy. So we, we move that time up a little bit. And if they're not getting enough energy from one gel, because most gels will only give you about 20 to 25 grams per gel. So you often need that second gel to even hit that 30 grams. We should explain what it is to bonk. <laughs> Angie, have you ever experienced a bonk in a race? Uh, yeah, I, it's been a while, <laughs> pre-UCAN days, but yes, it basically feels like you suddenly lose all will to live. You may be 10 miles from the finish line, you may be one mile from the finish line, and suddenly you just feel like, I will never make it. it, it <laughs> it's like there's a psychological element to it, I think not getting enough carbohydrate to your brain, but also, you know, it feels like your legs probably weigh about 30 pounds each, more than they normally do. <laughs> Like you're wearing lead boots. Um, so yeah, it's it's very unpleasant. And I think everyone does it at least once in their running career. And then they realize like, oh, it's really important to prevent this. <laughs> because it's hard yeah. to come back from a bonk. Like you can do it, but mm -hmm. it's going to slow you down and you're, you're going to feel pretty miserable. So Absolutely. I don't know if I've actually ever bonked in a race, but we all know the feeling of having low blood sugar, right? Sort of that jitteriness and panic. Is that what it kind of feels like to bonk? Sort of like this nausea or jitteriness sometimes? I think it depends. You know, it's one of those things. Okay. People experience it differently. But yeah, it's like your body has suddenly stomped on the brake pedal and like, nope, I'm pulling the plug for today unless you give me some fuel. <laughs> yep. And you're right with the mental part of it too, because carbs are our brain's primary source of fuel. Mm -hmm. So when you've hit that mental capacity in the race, part of the bonking comes from that because your brain's not getting that energy that it needs. So it can't function. So your body definitely can't function after that. Yes. And it's like the body, it can break down fat and protein to make that glycogen, but it takes a long time. And so it's not something you want to just be sitting around on the side of the, the course, like waiting for your body to make <laughs> some more glycogen. <laughs> yes. Please don't rely on that or you'll be sitting there all day to finish that race. <laughs> I don't think I've bonked, but I do remember one time getting really low on electrolytes. Um, I just felt like something was off. Like I just did not feel myself. It was a race in Switzerland and they were giving out bullion. They'd taken bullion cubes and melted them down or something and made it into a soup. And it worked. Like it restored me. Yeah. Everybody needs salt too. <laughs> I came back from the brink after that. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Now the salt definitely works, but I haven't heard of anyone giving bullion cubes. <laughs> Yeah, that's a very good one. Hey, you got to do what you got to do in a time of need. <laughs> electrolytes are super important, though. I encourage all runners to use some form of electrolytes. And 
one way to really stay on top of your hydration, especially leading up to a race, of course, you want to aim to drink half your body weight in ounces several days prior. But then on race day, I want you to weigh yourself before you race and then weigh yourself afterwards. One big thing is replenishing what you lost after that race. So if you can drink an extra 16 to 24 ounces for every pound of body weight that you lose, that'll really just help replenish your hydration and your overall electrolyte balance. So that way you can recover and repair from that race. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So here's a question from someone who follows a paleo diet. Yadina asks, as a long distance runner who follows the paleo diet, she says, I have stomach issues with gluten, sugar, rice, and gluten-free breads. I'm struggling with what to eat before a long run and during the run to fuel my exercise. Any advice would be incredibly appreciated. Yeah. So the first thing that stood out to me was the stomach issues with those types of foods. So if you haven't already, I would work with a professional to get to the root cause of why you can't tolerate those foods. For instance, it could be due to an allergy or an inflammatory response, or is there an underlying gut issue that hasn't been addressed? So that would be the first thing that I would tackle because you might actually be able to tolerate these foods, but there might be something going on that's making you your body have symptoms to that. So I would dig into your, your gut health. And then before a long run, I would mainly focus on those fast digesting simple carbs, such as a banana, potatoes, you could do gluten-free pastas, mango, or anything like that. And then just throw in a moderate amount of protein, and this will help stabilize your blood sugar. And then if you're running 60 minutes or less, no inter-run fueling is usually needed, uh, but that's also very independent on each individual. And if you're going more than 60 to 90 minutes, I would focus on the 30 to 60 grams of carbs every 45 to 60 minutes. You could use things like gels, goos. You just want something that's easy to carry with you, um, something that's quick digesting to get that quick energy. One of my favorites is the UCAN Energy Gels or the bars because they're easy to carry with you. They're easy on digestion. They don't use regular sugar or stimulants, which makes it easy on your stomach, but you can still get those carbs in using that. And then since they don't use caffeine or stimulants, you won't have that energy crash later on either. So that's something you have to be cautious of. Some of those gels, they have a lot of caffeine. So you might feel great for an hour and then halfway through the run, you, you start to tank. Um, <laughs> right. So yeah, and I would say if you don't like using gels, find something like applesauce pouches or fruit snacks, like the little gummies or the That's It bar. Uh, you could even take a pack of honey or some dates with you and make your own energy bites along the way. Um, so those are a, a couple things that you could do to fuel your your runs. Well, hey, we've been talking about UCAN as a fuel source. Just want to jump in here and say you can actually get six edge gels for free to try them out. See why we love them. Just go to uCAN.co slash MTA. And I'm actually going to be using an edge gel for my Tough Mudder this weekend. So they're very convenient um, and they deliver the same great energy and are gentle on your stomach. So head over to youcan.co slash MTA. If you want to try out their edge gels, you can get them just for the price of shipping. That's youcan.co forward slash MTA. Okay, this one is from Lou. He says, I have my fueling regimen dialed in during long runs. I'm looking for foods and or drinks that can provide me with a good amount of energy that I can include in my daily meals for a week or two prior to a long run or to an ultra. 
Yeah. So you're going to get energy from all of your macros. So all the carbs, protein, fat that you eat, but I would really focus on getting carbs from sources like fruit and the starchy carbs, like potatoes, rice, pasta, and oats and food over supplements is always recommended. But then of course, to add some extra in there, I would do something like the, you can, you can energy powder that you can mix up. You can drink that throughout the day, kind of fill in the gaps with your meals. That's always a great way. You could even do other types of energy shakes. You can make your own smoothies. That's always an easy way to get some extra nutrients in and fill your body with good fuel sources. I like it. This question comes from Saskia in the Netherlands, and she says, in the days leading up to a marathon or longer race, I always eat well. The goal is, of course, to optimize the storage of carbohydrates in the muscles and liver. I notice many runners eat a fairly large breakfast the morning of the race and wonder if that is beneficial. Is it really necessary to eat pancakes or a big bowl of porridge if you've eaten enough the days before and especially the night before the race? How many carbohydrates does your body burn while you sleep that you still have to top up in the morning? Eat at least four eggs right before marathon. She's saying carbohydrates. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this this is a good question, but back to my favorite answer, it really depends because it all depends on how well you've trained your body to eat. And if you're used to eating a big meal before you run, or you if you have enough time to eat a big meal, then you can absolutely go for it. But if it's something new for you and it's something that you have not tried before, I highly do not recommend eating a large breakfast before you go run. Like you said, as long as you're getting in enough carbs the days prior, then you can stick with your normal sized breakfast the morning of. You could even consume a couple simple carbs before you start the race and then make sure you have a good plan for that interrun fueling. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Like practice with what your brace morning breakfast will be. You know, like I often eat oatmeal um, most mornings of the week and change it up a little bit with my add-ins and toppings. So often to a race, I travel with the instant oatmeal packs. Like I usually use the whole oats at home, but it's easier and more easy to digest the packets of oatmeal. I usually do the ones that don't have any sugar or sweetener added to them. So I know like when I get to race morning, I'm going to have something that my body is used to. I'm not relying on some breakfast at the hotel or trying to find food when, you know, I'm in a strange location. And it's usually really simple to use the microwave in the room and like heat up some hot water and stir in your oatmeal. And I've heard stories of people who are used to having like their banana and bagel for their (laughs) race morning breakfast. And then they get to the hotel and like they're out of bagels or they can't find their source. So I know as runners, we tend to try to control all of the elements we can for races, um, especially if we're concerned about a good performance. So that's something to think about too. Not only get your body used to what you're going to eat, but also have that on hand and make sure it's something that's not super niche that you have to search the whole city for. (laughs) Yes. I love that you brought that up because I can't even count on two hands how many clients or athletes that I've worked with in the past, they have a great plan going into their race. They didn't plan well enough for their travel. They get there, they relied on what was available at the hotel There was no oatmeal. There was no bagels. They had egg omelets that was loaded with avocado. The extra fat actually upset their stomach and it just ends up being a disaster. So exactly what you said, control the controllables and plan ahead, know what your body's used to and take that, Mm -hmm. take it with you. I can't stress that enough. Travel with what you're used to. Well, if I was in the Netherlands, like Saskia, 
I would start my morning with some strope waffles. This is before a race? Yeah. <laughs> strope waffles. That's the ticket. <laughs> Have you ever seen those honey stinger waffles? I love those. That's a strope waffle. Mm-hmm. Like some genius went over there and saw it in the Netherlands and came back and marketed it to Americans. Yeah. And we love it. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> oh, and then I did want to touch on, I know she had a second part to her question about how many carbs you burn while you sleep. Yes. So if you have a really good metabolism, you're going to continue burning calories throughout the night regardless, but you're not using as much energy. So it really just depends on your body state, your muscle mass, your recovery, and how well you're resting. So I would really say it's important just to make sure that you're consuming enough carbs, protein, and fat each day, not just on your race days. That way you don't have to worry about, oh, am I getting enough on race day? If you're replenishing well the week prior, you should be fine. That's a good point. Yeah. Man, I'm interested in that. I want to burn more carbs while I sleep. There's got to be some future technology that allow us to, you know, burn all kinds burn of- Burn fat while we well, sleep. Well, yeah. there, there's two methods that could potentially help. And one of those is having more muscle mass. And then two, just training your metabolism. Muscle mass is more metabolically active than body fat. So the mm-hmm. more you have, the quicker that rate of burn will be, even throughout the night. It does slow down because we're not burning as much energy, but it's still moving. Yeah. Here's a question from Bridget. Hey guys, I so appreciate you. Well, thank you, Bridget. We appreciate you too. I'm kind of desperate to figure this out. I have been having trouble with nausea and vomiting after races in five of my last six half marathons. This happened. I feel fine during the race. Haven't really changed my fueling. Don't really eat much during races, but always take at least a sip at water stops. I alternate electrolytes and water at the stops. On training runs for a half marathon or less, I typically don't take anything. But I don't have nausea or vomiting on my training runs. It usually hits me hard and fast within 30 minutes after the race and lasts up to four hours. Yeah, I would say one thing I would touch on is instead of alternating your water and electrolytes, just stick with electrolytes throughout the race. And then I'd really dive into what you're consuming before and during the race because it may not be enough to keep your blood sugar regulated. And a lot of times that can cause symptoms of nausea and vomiting if you're having low blood sugar. And then back to the electrolytes, if you're not getting enough sodium in, that can lead to hypernatremia. Nausea and vomiting is often a sign of that as well. So I would really focus on making sure that you're getting enough electrolytes in and having enough carbs throughout because one of the most important things you can do for your body, and this goes for overall health and performance is making sure that your blood sugar is regulated because if that tanks, everything else kind of suffers. You start feeling bad. You don't have the energy. Your performance tanks. So that's one of the best things you can do is just make sure you're getting enough carbs before, during, and even after the race. So try and find a good refuel meal as soon as you're finished and see if that helps with the symptoms as well. Yeah. Like even if you feel nauseated after the race, like try to drink like seven up or something that has some form of carbohydrate, something in there to like help your blood sugar. Yeah. And this has kind of made me think because there's a lot of people that I know after a race, they're not hungry and they just feel kind of super like off. Their stomachs are off. Trevor often struggles with this. My sister, they just are not hungry after a race. And I finish a race and I am like ravenous. Like Mm -hmm. I will eat everything in sight. And I'm like, what is the difference? I don't know if you've run into that. All the time. I would say one of the biggest differences is, Angie, you've been working with MetPro. So you've trained your metabolism 
I expect food and I expect it now. <laughs> exactly. And your body expects that from you. It's used to getting fuel. It needs that fuel and it, it's going to let you know. For someone who's not used to that or hasn't trained their body to do that, they may not even be picking up on those cues. And anytime I have someone that says that they're not hungry after a race or they don't eat I give them a specific snack and I'm like, this is what you're going to eat as soon as you finish, whether you're hungry or not. I don't Choke care that if baby down. <laughs> bagging it down, you're going to eat it. And nine times out of 10, they're like, man, that actually made me feel so much better. Mm-hmm. And part of it is because you just ran a marathon, your blood sugar's low, you've used up all of your glycogen stores, your energy tanks are empty, you got to replenish. And if you don't replenish, that's when you start feeling really bad. You're dehydrated, you might even be heat exhausted, depending on the temperature and the humidity. So it's really important to replenish with some carbs, protein and fats afterwards, and then also get your electrolytes in. Even though, Bridget, you're only doing a half marathon, it is still important to fuel. It sounds like you realize, you know, that your fueling and intake has been less than ideal. So I hope you can find some fuel that you can start to introduce uh, during your long runs. Like even if you're just like, let's say you're doing an eight miler or a 10 miler, definitely go out there and take some fuel. Um, you can get through a half marathon with with nothing. I've done it before, but it is definitely better to try to take something like take a can bar or, you know, two gels. And maybe that will help with the nausea. What do you guys think? I completely agree with that. Yeah. I do not encourage anyone to run with no fuel. <laughs> That's right. I always say, think of your body like a car. If you're going to go across the country, you have to constantly put fuel in it to make it there. If you stop fueling up, your tank's going to run out. And eventually you're just going to be putting along until you stop. That's mm-hmm. pretty much how our body works. Yeah. So here's one. What foods are recommended for vegan runners interested in weight loss, especially for older women runners? Yeah. And this is a good question. I work with a lot of vegans all the time and sometimes fueling, especially for weight loss is one of the hardest things. Um, so I wouldn't say there are really any specific foods that vegan runners should consume, but I would focus more on nutrient dense foods and making sure that you're getting enough quality protein. So as we know, protein is so much harder for vegans to get in. So you'll want to focus on those quality sources like beans, nuts, Uh, nut butters, seeds, uh, even tofu, tempeh. You can even get fortified pastas or anything like that that has a good quality protein. I often recommend a good quality protein powder as well because that can help fill in the gaps when, you know, if you go out to eat, most restaurants don't have vegan protein options. They offer a salad and that's, that's really it. So having that protein powder can help in times of need. (laughs) And then you'll already get some good quality carbs from the protein sources because most of the vegan proteins are compound and they have carbs or even fats in them as well. Um, So just make sure you're getting plenty of fruits and vegetables. And then for the fat loss side of things and really working on that weight loss, I would suggest aiming for 20 to 30 grams of protein every two to three hours and then filling half your plate with veggies. If you can do that, those veggies will help keep you full along with the protein. It will limit the amount of carbs that you're having, um, even though carbs are super beneficial, but reducing for short periods has been shown to have positive effects with body composition and losing fat. Um, That's a good tip that I always recommend for people looking to lose weight and, you know, not wanting to track. That's one way to do it is by the plate method. Yeah, I think that is great advice. And, you know, for the vegan runners that I know of, they really have to be intentional about that protein, especially as an older woman, because you're kind of fighting the battle against muscle loss. And, you know, you want to be building muscle or at least preventing 
muscle loss. And sometimes I, I've even seen research that I think it's like perimenopausal, menopausal women have more trouble absorbing protein. So you cannot skimp on that protein piece. I feel like um, for just overall strength and muscle health. <laughs> and of course, that ties into weight loss as well, because like you said, the more muscle you have, the more your metabolism is going to be healthier. Exactly. And a lot of times for my vegan clients, I basically force them without forcing them to carry packets of beans with them, protein powder, you know, the beans is the biggest one because kind of like the little tuna packets that you can buy, the individual packs, you can get beans in packs like that too. So I always encourage my clients to pick up some of those, keep them in their car, keep them in their bag, you know, just have them available because I can't even keep up with how many times my vegan clients are like, yeah, I went out to eat, but all they had was a salad. I didn't have any protein. So I didn't get that in. I'm like, okay, so you had no protein at this meal. When was your next dose of protein? And they're like, well, then I was out and I skipped a snack. Okay. Well, there we're going a long time without protein. So those beans can come in handy. So can protein powder. All you need is some water. Yeah. So those are a couple of things that I have my clients do just to hit their protein goals and make sure that they're getting it every two to three hours. Yeah. Or even like, I know it's not ideal to rely on bars, but you know, even like a vegan protein bar, keep that in your backpack, purse, your desk at work, because there are those times when you just cannot get in the protein that you need and you need something like that to just keep your blood sugar nice and stable. (laughs) Yep. You're, you're absolutely right. Even carry some nuts. Nuts are super easy to carry around with you. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. So can you give us examples of the type of people that you're helping right now as a MetPro coach? Like what kind of goals are you helping people strive for? Yeah. So that's a a loaded question because I have so many different types of clients. So I have some clients that their only goal is fat loss. Um, they're not into exercise. So it's solely focusing on their nutrition, getting their weight down, but I like to focus on getting their fat loss down. So anytime I don't like to use the word weight necessarily because that can that can mean muscle loss, that could be water mm-hmm. loss. So their goal is fat loss. I have a lot of marathon runners. Some are working on hitting PRs. Some are just looking to finish a marathon. Maybe it's their first race. I have a couple ultra runners. I, I have a new client that is actually training for a hundred miler coming up in December. Um, wow. And he's actually going for time. So we're really hitting his nutrition hard right now, making sure that his intra run fueling is on point. I have some clients that are big into strength training where they don't really do much endurance, but their goal is to change their body composition. So I really work with a ton of different clients and I try and approach each one with an individual mindset because everyone's so different. And I think that's one thing that I really love about nutrition is I can help as many people as I can, but their goals are different. How their body responds is different. Their metabolism is different. So it just, it kind of lights a fire under me to kind of figure out that puzzle. (laughs) See, that would be the most frustrating thing for me, right? It's like, you just want to give blanket advice and work for everyone. (laughs) Everyone's so different. It's like a moving target. Oh, that would be so boring. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, you're like a a nutrition detective, you know, really you have to be (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love to dig a little deeper to figure out what's what's causing this issue. Why is their energy not lasting? Like all of those things. Like nutrition is so complex. And I think a lot of people don't realize that until they start focusing on it. Some people just think I'm the food police and tell them what to eat and what not to eat. Well, that's not that's not exactly true. You know, I, I don't like to cut out any foods from anyone's diet. Everything 
everything can fit in moderation and it's all about just finding what works for each person. Getting that metabolism revved up. Exactly. MetPro stands for metabolic profiling. So the, yeah, the insidious thing about the metabolism is what works for you now might stop working or what worked for you in the past may not work now because of you're older or just different stage of life. So everyone's metabolism is just a, an enigma wrapped in a mystery. (laughs) (laughs) It's a moving target. So you have to constantly chase that target. Mm-hmm. I'm glad there are people like you that enjoy doing it and know how to do it because <laughs> it's not, it wouldn't be my gig, but man, I'm so excited for the results that you guys at MetPro have gotten uh, for people in our listening audience. So super grateful for MetPro and, and for the experience that we've had with it. And Amber, thanks for joining us on the podcast. This is actually our first interview that we've done with you. And, but man, you are very knowledgeable and I can see why they recruited you. Uh, to make pro. So <laughs> thank you. I try to do my best. I like to stay on top of my research, um, but it was a pleasure being here and I, I enjoyed being here with both you and Angie. All right. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Amber. Thanks again, everyone that sent in a question. Hope this was helpful. Nutrition is a complicated thing. I know I definitely don't have it all figured out. We didn't even get to all the alcohol questions that got sent in. I think I kind of purposely left those out. There was only one, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And if you'd like to get more help with your fueling or weight loss or adding muscle or just all around changing your body composition, you can talk to one of their coaches for free. No pressure. Just go over there and see how they could be of help to you. You can set that up at metpro.co forward slash MTA. And if you decide to work with them, you can save $500 off their concierge coaching. That's metpro.co forward slash MTA. And if we can help you with anything in your training, send us an email if you have a question. We're pretty good at getting back to people in a timely way. Angie chuckled when I said pretty good. <laughs> I can't. Either are or not. <laughs> well, it depends on the question. <laughs> Some are more complicated than others. Yes. We do get spam. So <laughs> we don't get back to those kind of emails. But anyway... Uh, we have a contact form on our website, marathontrainingacademy.com. Love to help you out. That's it for this episode. Keep taking action in your goals. It's worth it. And remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way.